In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Thursday morning. I was feeling really a really like radio show with that this morning, so I went with it. I'm <laughs> thrilled that energy. it's Thursday. Yeah, yeah there's We're good energy be... in New York today, I would Sun say. Should we shock jocks? Mm-hmm. Should we shock jocks today? <laughs> yeah, talking about the weather, real shock jocks. <laughs> Sunny in New York. <laughs> Uh, We love our Thursday episodes because we have a little room for pop culture topics. And I feel like today two of our hosts are the pop culture topics. Elise, you hosted a comedy show last night at Caroline's on Broadway. Sammy, you were, actually, Sammy, are you allowed to talk about what you did? Um, not until Sunday. So, okay. Well, Sammy I did, did something, something super exciting. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited to hear about the exciting thing. <laughs> I'll tell you offline. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, also, I'm going to ask you when we stop recording what it is. Yeah, so. yeah that's what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredibly exciting and definitely a tangential, but um, how has it been at least to be like back out, back out in the, in the group doing shows again? It's very, it's very interesting. It's interesting to learn what audiences want to hear about now versus not. I, they don't, I would say the audiences don't love to talk about the pandemic mm-hmm. really. Um, I mean, you can, you can reference it, obviously, because it's impossible <laughs> not to. But like, they don't want like a whole set of your pandemic retir- material. You can like go tangential a little bit, but they don't. I that's what I found is that they don't want that. And it's just interesting to navigate as a comedian. Like I was talking to other people who were on the show last night. Like, do I bring back? there are some jokes that I had just started doing when the pandemic began and, but they feel so far away now. Mm -hmm. And some of them I've had to like leave by the wayside. Some of them I have brought back. Then there's new stuff. It's very interesting. It's, it's like any other industry. It's one that is figuring itself out in this post pandemic. Well, with the pandemic still happening, but in this post vaccine society, that's what I'm trying to switch to saying. Cause we have, what it is is that we have the vaccine. (laughs) Right. The pandemic is still happening. Yes. Because some people have chosen not to take the vaccine. (laughs) Right. And also some people in the, in other parts of the world can't get it. So it's also like, exactly. Yeah. So it's really just, yeah. Post-vaccine society. I feel like we're always going to have COVID and it's just going to become like, it's never going to like end. It's just going to be like, whatever. Yeah. Getting a COVID test is just going to be like part of life. Yeah. Yeah, but I think so. You and, uh, you and Millie have a show coming up together, which is super exciting. Can you tell us about yes. those? Um, well, Millie's show, which is a show that she has run before, in the before, Judge <laughs> Millie, 
is coming back to Union Hall, which is a very fun venue in Brooklyn. And I am one of the lawyers on the show. So we adjudicate various right. issues uh, and Judge Millie decrees to go. one way or Sammy, another. I, I bought two tickets and my car oh, will come I with come? me. So yeah, let's do okay. it. <laughs> I'm okay. literally going to look up what the date is of it. Oh no, it's I November 4th. And Great. the amazing Perfect. thing about it is that it is in Brooklyn, Sammy. It is in Brooklyn, Sammy, but doors are at 730. So we can do it. Okay, I'm going to drive. <laughs> I'm going to drive. Oh All my right. God. <laughs> yeah, I'll pick you up. It's, All right. Wow, um, yeah. this is great. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. It's a wild listeners, time. Uh, yeah. listen, Manhattan listeners, DM Sammy for a ride. Oh my God. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm going to have like a caravan. Yeah, the uh, Sammy Jitney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to Brooklyn. To, to Union Hall. To Union Hall. <laughs> yeah. Wait, this is so. Oh. Wait, I can't believe you're going to be a judge and Millie's going to be like, Judge Judy. Millie, oh, you're going to be a Millie's lawyer. Judge and Millie's Millie and I am a lawyer. Wow. Yes. That is so incredibly exciting. Okay. Yes. Judge Millie show is going on my calendar right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm so glad I brought it up at the top. Okay. So now for the, I guess, less important news than how our respective lives are going. <laughs> first, first, we're going to discuss why the upcoming Virginia gubernatorial race is being framed as a referendum on Joe Biden and the Democrats in Congress. Then, because it's Pop Culture Thursday, I'm so excited for this. We're going to talk about Squid Game, ah. cultural phenomenon. We have to talk about this show and why the world can't seem to look away. I'm so glad that Sean suggested we talk about this. He's going to join us later because it meant that I could force my fiance to finally uh, finish it this week. Otherwise, I don't know where I might still be on episode four. Yeah, you got to learn to abandon ship when the partner is not on board mm -hmm. with the watching schedule. I we know, are every I know. man for himself in this house. Yeah, you really, you really kind of made me think when you were like, no, no, we we watched it separately. We watch everything just whenever anyone feels like it, unless we happen to be like in the same place at the same time when the show is happening. Like like a Sunday yeah. night at 9 p.m. show will probably be in the same place. Yeah. Annie did not come on the Squid Game journey with me at all. Does he yeah. have FOMO? No, he sat, he completely <laughs> sat it out and he, and he goes to bed at night just fine. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking yeah. of sitting it out, frankly, because I don't like violence. And, um, well, exactly. So I was thinking of sitting it out, but then like I was reading about other, just like other elements that I was like, okay, I have to just, just watch it. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. why I want to talk about how we all are so interested in it, even though it's quite hard to watch. Also hard to watch. We will start with is this Virginia governor's race, <laughs> Virginia voters. They're going to choose a new governor in just over two weeks, three weeks. I don't know how time works between two and three weeks. The two candidates are Democrat Terry McAuliffe and Republican, this guy named Glenn Youngkin. McAuliffe is a longtime democratic strategist, politician, and notably has had this job before he was already governor of Virginia from it was 2014 to 2018 Elise. I think that's I think it was around then yeah because I already yeah. I he was never my governor of Virginia got it got it got it <laughs> and Glenn Youngkin is a businessman I realized as I was putting this together why do we say businessman like it's like a qualification for president we should just say Glenn Youngkin is a guy with a job that's all I have <laughs> I'm a businessman Sammy's a businessman yeah, we all own business a business people. No, he does. He does. I mean, maybe he owns his private equity fund, but I guess. Oh, I guess you'd say yeah. businessman when you mean like he's a really financier. Rich. Yeah, I would call him that. Yeah, Ooh, but see, I bet if you called him that, then it sounds very like elitist. But in really, in reality, if you all you do is move money around all day, you're a financier. You're not a business person because you're not employing anybody, unless he is. Yeah, I don't right. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's employing maybe people who help him move the money. 
<laughs> right. right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> are you producing a product that other people consume or no, are you like essentially making money? The f I mean, right. do you, do we consider financial products products? Not in this household. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Like you can't touch it. You can just spend it. <laughs> McAuliffe has focused his campaign on the pandemic and maintaining some of the progressive wins that those state lawmakers have achieved. Like Virginia state lawmakers have done some cool stuff in that yeah. assembly. They've passed weed, some cool stuff. Youngkin is mainly trying to capitalize on the debate over teaching America's history of racism in schools. This is about as Trumpy as he feels comfortable going right now, but he's like, he's winking at all of it. But he's also on to Virginia voters. He doesn't want to be too Trumpy because he thinks he can pull some swing voters who are put off Trumpism, but also aren't digging Democrats right now. And we'll talk about that. The race has tightened in recent weeks, and this is super close. McAuliffe is leading Youngkin by just a point, but that's within the margin of error. And there are other polls that show Youngkin leading with likely voters, which suggests that Republicans are more likely to vote. But also polls have done a sturdy before. I have no idea what any of this actually, actually forecasts. So this suggests that maybe Republicans are more animated than Democrats to turn out in this race. Biden did beat Trump in Virginia by 10 points in 2020. And I think pre the president has won in Virginia the past, like, couple cycles, but before that, it was always Republicans that won Virginia. So it's kind of like Virginia seems to have become blue, but it's still kind of a question and, and yeah. state level doesn't always reflect national. So I think the question is like without Trump on the ballot or in the White House, if reliable Democratic voters are going to turn out in an off year election for a state level race. So it's like two problems I think people are worried about turnout and if the people that are going to turn out would choose a Republican Yunkin over Terry McAuliffe because they're mad at Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, as a Virginian, uh, <laughs> the way she uh, walks, <laughs> you know, oh my God. yes, Virginia has what been. What a reference. I know. <laughs> Virginia has been blue, but um, it is a very, it's a very like, uh, I would say it's a susceptible place to what Youngkin is doing. Um, there's a lot. It's still the South. And I think that going this critical race theory route as kind of ridiculous and made up as that is that that like scares me a little bit when I hear it, because even going back to when I was a kid in Virginia, like there's just a lot of racial tension around the schools and the schooling there and um, what's taught in the schools and how Virginia history is related to the students. There's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy Robert E. Lee stuff in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you, if you went to school in Virginia when I was there, uh, you were taught in your AP US history class that Robert E. Lee was a great person who did not love slavery he actually didn't like slavery at all he just loved virginia so much that he would never do anything bad to virginia and that was presented as like a reasonable yeah. thing. like he had like, to fight to protect slavery to save virginia which is number one immediate counter argument is that no one was proposing to abolish virginia so <laughs> virginia was going to exist in both kind of universes yeah. 
<sighs> but anyway, like that, that is a really fertile ground for a Republican to like really create a culture battle and really rile people up who might come to the polls. Because I would say that in general, yes, Virginia is blue, but I think it's like low key blue. It's like a not riled up blue. It's like, a, well, that Trump guy is very disturbing or like, I like, I think I like Barack. He seems fine, but it's not like, I don't think yeah. there's like a progressive, there is a lot of progressive stuff that has been happening, but I don't know if those people come out in the same way as like the ones who get riled up by yeah. this, like, cons- like critical race theory thing. And I've, I've been in Virginia when those people have been riled in the past <laughs> and, uh, they're, you know, if the, yeah. if, if the, if they get people in the Southern part of the state to turn out and they get Northern Virginia Republicans to turn out, maybe they flip a couple independents or they just get the Northern Virginia Democrats to sit it out. It, I, it's not difficult for me to see them totally. taking the governorship in Virginia is basically what I'm getting to. Like you should, it's been blue for the past two presidential cycles and there've been some awesome like things that have happened electorally in Virginia, but the Democratic Party's grip on Virginia is definitely really loose. I mean, Charlottesville, that like tiki torch yeah. thing was in Virginia. So we've seen them riled. Well, but- yeah. And like the statues have had to come down in Richmond, which is like a huge flashpoint. And they have come down in Richmond, but it's, you know, this cultural battle over like how to deal with the Confederate legacy and what's taught in schools and how it's talked about. Virginia is like very much at the front lines of that because it was literally the capital of the Confederacy and Robert E. Lee was from Virginia. And um, so it was like half. The, I mean, I yeah. rode, I drove from Lee Highway to Stonewall Jackson Memorial Highway every day to go to school. Like it's wow. for real. It's for yeah, real. It's fascinating. Can I ask like how much we think this is like actually the referendum that we think it is? versus like how much the media has like nothing else to talk about. I think it's only is if we say it is, if we keep in this, like in this loop, like why we're not even a year away. And I feel like, okay, I feel like Virginia, as we were talking about, it's like you said, it's, it's not a referendum because it's, it's pretty unique. Like it's, it's unique in terms of that cultural attachment to the, parts or yeah. people in the Confederacy. Plus you've got the people that probably were, were Obama and Biden voters who are like those suburban white women who, who here, who are susceptible to that message of like, you're telling me my kid's going to be told they're racist. Like that's the thing. They don't want that. Those are it, like mm-hmm. Virginia, like you said, like there's amazing progressive things happening, but it's still like yeah. half and half. So the people we're talking Virginia. about, yeah, the people the we're talking about are are the small group of of swing voters, but they're gonna they're gonna decide this. It's also gonna come down to organizing. Like ultimately, is like how well does the, do the Democrats organize and get people to vote? Because it is an off year election, and like mm-hmm. it turnout's gonna be like low in general. I'm sure. Well, yeah. So it's like remember when remember when California was good. They, they the media was saying, and I know we're part of the media and we watch this, but it's like they were like California. The California recall is going to be a referendum on Joe Biden. It's like no, it's not. It's it's California. Yeah. yeah, every new thing that happens, they need something to. They need it's, to attach national. The media to is it. completely like they've chosen to focus on like just as usual, just like bullshit instead of like focusing on the real stories, which is like the 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 decline of the democracy and like <laughs> holding people accountable for the insurrection and the horrible things that are happening. Like stop 
picking apart dumb shit about Joe Biden. And like, I just, yeah, it's very frustrating. Right. Right. Also, because, you know, since the Build Back Better thing has been delayed, it's not that they are like futzing about doing nothing, not able to govern. They are trying to figure this out. They're trying to negotiate this, but the media has nothing to talk about. So they're like Dems in disarray. They can't get it together. What is this going to do for the midterms? It's like, this is more than, this is 400 days away. Yeah. What are you, what are you talking about? Like, and then it makes me, then it just signals that on January 1st, 2020, it's like, oh, we can't govern anymore. Cause it's like a midterm year. It's like, yeah. I, 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 the only benefit is that I hope it is becoming clear to Democrats right now that it's like, or at least, you know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and some of the moderates that the only way you can fix this is by acting. People are not happy that you're not doing anything because they just are not hearing about things getting passed and they're only hearing that kids are getting COVID at record levels. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if the Democrats lose the governorship in Virginia, that's not good. Like, (laughs) that's a a problem for the party and it will require some looking at it. But ultimately what it means is that if the election were held today, Joe Biden might lose, but it's still a year from now. You know what I mean? Like, it's like we're at a very low point in his presidency. Uh, He's had a very rough couple of months. Democrats do not look great in this moment. Republicans don't really look better, but they they never look good. (laughs) Yeah, they they don't look any worse than they normally (laughs) We're not actively sabotaging democracy, except they kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's not like actually even the worst they've looked. (laughs) I know the worst we've looked is just like it's taking a minute to pass trillions in spending. (laughs) Yeah. And Afghanistan. I mean, it was a a confluence of very bad events for Biden and just like not great feeling overall. But I don't think I think this idea of anything being a referendum or anything in this day and age, the way the news cycle is, I think that anything hap- the idea that anything that happens now will be at all relevant to a year from now is absurd to me. They attacked the Capitol yeah. and it's not relevant any longer. Well, the Democrats, so, the Democrats don't message like that. Like they just don't like, like think about how the Republicans were able to like let Benghazi like loom so large. The Democrats do not like know how to do it. Like they just don't that like literally we're fighting over like 3.5 trillion. And the only thing anyone knows is the number 3.5 trillion, which it's never going to be it. that big anyway. And it, right. And it's over 10. It, it's just, if anyone even knows about an infrastructure bill, no one knows what's in it. They just know maybe 3.5 trillion at most if they even know that's what's going on. And the Democrats just, I right. did There's, they both like don't enact like strategic moves in Congress and I don't, I'm behind the scenes and they can't no. message for shit. It's just like, but they think they are is the problem. Like Democrats think they are seen as like, the saviors, the ones that are governing, governing no. and making things work. And that is that is accurate because we do the bare mitt. But like, that's not how people that's not really how, how it takes like it takes it. two sides to be in a dysfunctional relationship. That's, that's really. True. Yeah. Yeah. And to close this out, like I always think about this when we talk about like AOC needs to stop saying defund the police so that this moderate can win in Kansas. It's like I don't want Nancy Pelosi making her calculations to get this agenda passed for based on what Terry McAuliffe needs. Like, that's not her job. That's not her yeah. job. Her, like, if, if we can't all be thinking about each other, like, 
each other's political, like Terry McAuliffe can handle himself. Maybe he should be a better candidate. Like <laughs> if he oh, loses, don't oh, very blame. Joe Manchin of you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He'll be fine, but I think he's a great candidate, but it's like, you can't blame. We cannot constantly be thinking about every race ahead of us. And I know I do this too, and I've tried to break the habit, but that's just not, it's not her job. It's not it's her just job. Not it's possible. his job to win. It's just not possible to control all of these factors. And I don't have a solution. Clearly no one does because it's still a problem. Yeah. But suffice to say, if you live in Virginia, this is not the one to sit out. This is serious. This is more of an emergency than the recall. We said that was close and we said that was a 911, but this is like really, really a 911. So if you live in Virginia, I assume people are, the registration deadline is passed and they don't have same day, but I hope from 2020 people are still, are still registered because it's gonna, it's gonna be a close one. Yeah. I think they're all 911 at this point because it's sort of like that, you know, like after 9-11 when everyone was like, the terrorists only have to be right once. We have to be right all the yes. time. That's actually... <laughs> Now, what is totally. happening oh, to orange. the to us in in as the Democrats? So yeah, yeah. perfect. I mean, great great transition into Squid Game. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Our producer, as promised, Sean, is going to join us for this discussion. Hello. 
Ah, thrilled to be here. Hello, me. I, I also finished watching Squid Game last night in anticipation of this, and I have a lot of thoughts. Me too. Okay. I'm feeling really like I feel like I haven't been this like obsessed with the show for a while. Like I, I want to like. Think, I think the themes and the message and the metaphors are very much in line with the Betcha Sup podcast. I think that's what mm-hmm. we want to talk about. I think that this totally. more than any show other than maybe Succession, it's in our wheelhouse for just the shit that <laughs> we like I thought you were going to compare about. it to like a different Betcha show where it was more applicable. I was like, oh, okay. Are you doing this on Betcha's moms? <laughs> <laughs> this is just a that would be show funny. that's quite, quite as... Uh, th- that is is interesting to our audience. It I makes think, me like wish I understood Korean so that I could actually like get the show <sighs> better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have not, spoiler alert, I don't actually think we need to get into the way the show ends to discuss the themes, but we might. We're not gonna we're not gonna try to avoid it. So if you haven't seen it or finished it, come back to this when you have. If you have, you know that Squid Game revolves around a contest in which 456 players referred to in the show as living on the edge of life. Also the subtitles are apparently not all right. So I don't know if that's correct. But most of them are deeply in debt, which is a a common issue in Korean society. And they play a series of children's games, but they have super deadly penalties. If they lose, they die. If they win, they have a chance to win or split $40 million. The group of players, they have multiple opportunities to leave the game if more than half of them agree, but they basically stay the whole time. The show is very violent and gory, at times extremely hard to watch, but despite that, it is now the most watched Netflix series of all time, and it's not even close. What's crazy is that the first is Squid Game, (laughs) the next is Bridgerton. (laughs) (laughs) Like, could they be more different? You know, there's different strokes for different folks on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, definitely. How much crossover in those audiences? You have to wonder. I mean, I'm one of them. So yeah, yeah. The top ten. Four of us are. Yeah, yeah. Both are fucking good. I couldn't finish Bridgerton. I could not finish. Bridgerton was not as good a show as this, but it certainly was an easier entry point. Squid Game. I'm actually astonished that so many people tried it. And I, I don't know. I wasn't even having conversations. I was on vacation when I started, but it was just one of the banners yeah. on Netflix, which is the most valuable advertising space on the planet now is the banner thing at the top. Where it of says like where it is in the top. Yeah, but I it really was intriguing. So I downloaded some episodes for a flight and it's so good. And then I got back from vacation. Everybody else was like, there's this meme of this little guy sitting against a wall. And I was like, what is that from? And it was from the show I was watching. Was <laughs> I know. Good. Once the memes became, became popularized. And it's like, it can be surprising. Like, oh my God, this is the most watched of all time by such a mile. But it's like, the world is mostly Asian people. So like, it makes sense. Like Asian countries have a lot of people. And I think it lent itself to memeing, which obviously totally. like brought it to like the American conscience because the I found the sets to be like so beautiful and enticing. And that was like what I think kind of kept me in because they were like beautiful and interesting. Yeah. And like you could look into some symbolism of them. And it was just like, it was so cool. That doll, that doll is one of the most like lasting images in TV for a really long time. That doll is. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> I was just talking the other day about what's going to be the, the like the number one Halloween costume this year. This is like game. a few weeks ago. Now I'm, it's clearly going to be okay. Squid Game. But if somebody does the doll, I mean, they That's get genius. bonus points. They Someone have will. Squid Game costumes at Walmart. I am yeah. going a Squid Game party for Avi's birthday next weekend in Central Park. We're going to play the Squid Games. You guys could probably come because we're going to maybe need can more people. Be the, can 
can I be the doll? <laughs> I'm going to be the doll. I'm the doll. I'm going to be the one the arranging all the games. I might even make the honeycomb things. So I'm really going. Okay. okay. Can I say they what? look tasty? <laughs> <laughs> I was watching well, I, and yeah. I was like, man, if this wasn't so tense, those yeah. are some tasty honeycombs. <laughs> <laughs> There's this incredible video. I'll post it when I promote this, but it's just like five minutes. It's the one I sent to you, Sammy. And it's the set designer just like talking through everything and the audience and the actors. And they said the scariest, the hardest one to do. And the most realistic was the, there's this bridge where they have to Oh. Uh, get through and they don't know if it's real glass or, or if it's breakable glass or tempered glass and the way they did that they were like a, two meters in the air but that created like a sensation of like oh shit if we fall we're, we're really falling on the ground and they showed them like completely jump off it's crazy i that was actually my favorite set i know that might yeah. not be a popular opinion with because well, of the woman that was cool yeah. I, the, the escher like every time they walk through those stairs yeah just yeah on one of the games that I was like, this is really cool. Like, this is a creative show. And that you see that yeah. pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they were working on it for literally 10 years. So the show was created by Huang dong Huck, who conceptualized it in 2009. He made a ton of films since then, super successful ones. He just, nobody wanted this one. I read an interview where, with him where he said, everyone's acting like I did nothing for 10 years. Like, I did other shit. Like, it just took a minute for this one to get made. He's had a lot of success directing films in Korea. I'm sure a lot of I definitely want to watch some of them. One of them led to actual changes in the statute of limitations for sex crimes against minors and disabled wow. people. So I feel like he's already like succeeded enough, but he said he pulled a lot of these characters and themes from people in his own life. Like he didn't even change some names, which is funny. He grew up also in a low income area of Seoul. Squid Game relies on a lot of tropes and shared experiences in Korean society. That's why it's particularly disappointing that native Korean speakers have highlighted so much poor translation in the subtitles. If you search Squid Game translations in TikTok, you'll find native speakers pointing out scenes where the subtitles, they either totally botch dialogue or completely mistranslate idioms that are kind of critical to character development. I mean, I watched the show with the subtitles. I thought the character development was the strength, but there are certain idioms that are just not accurately like conveyed and you do i think it's more upsetting for koreans because they know the tropes and they know what's lost where for us we're not it's not as like it's not as catastrophic but um i heard that like the burned in subtitles on netflix are even worse than the ones where if you just like add the add the subtitles i didn't did anyone watch it dubbed i, did. I watched the dub baby yeah. i loved the dub <laughs> it was like I loved you it. could tell it was pretty bad but um <laughs> i got the point you know what i mean i um I will say I I lo I loved the dub from I do like a lot of voiceover and voice acting and from that perspective it was very interesting to me because there's this thing called uh you're getting like your lip flap which is where you have to match the way that the mouth is moving on the screen and like match your performance to the movement of the mouth on the screen and they were clearly doing that in the dub yeah. and I think that it gave all the voice acting this really like heightened uh kind of almost like anime-ish quality because yeah, that's what they yeah. have to do to dub over anime as well which is kind of why like if you're watching an anime that was originally in japanese you'll be like oh that person's inflection was so strange and it's like yeah because they have to match this mouth yeah so i was watching it from that perspective and i was just like it's really interesting to see how each of the voice actors chose to do their performance and they all have these really like heightened interesting kind of like funny performances to me 
Oh my God. The behind the scenes of that must be so intense. It's very, have you, very done have you done that before? You've just seen other people do it. I've never dubbed over something that was originally in Japanese or like done like an anime voiceover, but I've done ADR for stuff. ADR is where you like go in and dub over your own self, but maybe like change your inflection a little bit, like a new direction. And that is extremely hard. And you're dubbing it in the same language and you're dubbing yourself. But yeah, yeah this like... And people expect it to sing perfectly, whereas dubbing, yeah, nobody expects and it's, it. It's really hard. So I was, you know, I, I really, uh, I came away with a deep appreciation for the dub. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the reason I love this show so much is that like, I can't, I can't pay attention to anything. So when I have to watch something that has subtitles, like I, I obviously can't like fuck around on my phone. I don't understand the language. So I have to watch it and I have to pay attention. And those are the shows I end up actually like getting the most engaged in. And the reason I think this one was easy to stick with with that is because like you said, Timmy, there's so much to look at. It's so visually engaging that like you're really yeah. struck with it. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. As we mentioned, this is now Netflix's most watched piece of content ever. The way they measure it, and Sean, you mentioned this, is that it's it's literally tested. Like if anyone watched it for more than two minutes, they are a viewer. So we don't know how many people finished it. Netflix is notoriously tight-lipped about, about stuff like this. But it, it reached that status also in less than a month. So what I mainly wanted to talk about today is like, why did this show capture the entire world's attention at this particular moment? Why did Why did it become such a global phenomenon? I think there's like this kind of widespread feeling of like things are on the down, like, like we're all sort of the characters in the show. I mean, not, maybe not in the, literally the debt, maybe, you know, maybe you see yourself yes. in them. You yeah. see yourself in that, like, you feel very out of control in this world and that there is no real safety net. And so it's sort of like, oh, why the fuck not? Wouldn't I like throw, you know, my life away for, you know, this opportunity. And you see people kind of do that with like reality TV, you know, why not go on The Bachelor? You know, like, like, so, I mean, I think that like people like relate to the desperation of feeling like, oh my God, shit is so fucked. And if anything could happen to me at any point that could land me in this position of debt or whatever it is. And like, and it's just kind of like a crapshoot. There's no safety net to save you. And that's, and in reality, like we're watching like Jeff Bezos take uh, William Shatner to space yesterday. And like, right. that really was like reflected, like, no, not to space, up really high. He took William Shatner. Outer space, but we could call it lower space. Yeah. Yeah. Up real high. Yeah. Yeah. Up real high. So he took William Shatner up real high for like basically the amount of probably the seat probably cost the amount of money that was like the stakes in this game. Yeah. And like, I think that it's relatable if you are, you know, I don't really know any billionaires. So like, like <laughs> if you I think it's relatable for like everyone who's not in that position to be like, oh, like that's what like they're doing. But like, I could be okay. I could not be. It's kind of a crapshoot. 
right? Yeah. Because there is a time where they all get a chance to go home and they all come back. They get a chance to decide yeah. like, okay, to actually measure this against that. And they just, many of them decide to come back and play the game and mm -hmm. facing like certain death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like the question that that asks is like, did they even really have a choice or was it a false choice to go home? Number one, like they kind of, their circumstances were always going to bring them back. And number two, to Sammy's point, bringing like the Jeff Bezos of it all. It's like the guy who's, you know, funding this whole game. Mm -hmm. He's kind of just doing it because he can't as a little mm -hmm. pet project of bullshit, which is what all of these billionaires are doing with going to space. Like they're just throwing their money around for like some, like, because they want to, and they came up with some silly thing, silly game to play. It's very gladiator. It mm -hmm. is. It, well, there are just elements of it just being, I mean, like Hunger Games, I fucking love Hunger Games. And yeah. they both, Hunger Games yeah, and this have true. one great thing in common, which is that the metaphor just hits you over the head. And mm -hmm. I'm cool with it. I, but Me the too. thing is, uh, there's also just one other simpler explanation, which is that all Netflix has to do is make a very good show and everyone will watch it. Because we actually do want to keep having those Game of Thrones style shared experiences where you're like, okay, fine, I'll watch the show that everybody's watching so we can talk about it. But then Bridgerton comes along and half of us fall off because it's just not right. good enough because the softcore porn isn't hot enough. So like, <laughs> it, so, I enjoyed so, all the pornography and I watched Bridgerton <laughs> start to finish. But, <laughs> but, but, but Squid Game is good too. So that's the other element. Like, like and there is this, the, I do think that it, it's really brutal to watch, but the violence is so over the top that I actually was able to kind of like compartmentalize it and I what I really enjoyed was just waiting for the next game which is a little twisted but it's entertainment so I think the show in that way is also just entertaining like I like talking about which game did you like the best right. like that's a simple question you know what I mean like well actually that's, I'll ask you guys which game did you find the most interesting the bridge okay Sammy's a bridged person I have never been more stressed than I was watching the tug of war. Same. Tug it yeah. really, really caused me deep guttural distress. The marble game was another one that people said. That was one, like, just, that one was, was really painful. Sad. Really Did you guys sad. see that coming? I can't, I didn't see that coming, but that Neither. they would end up having to oppose each other. Well, I saw yeah. that people were talking about the marble game on Twitter. So I was like something. Yeah crazy is going to happen with the marble game like you know, yeah I just but there is that. I yeah. mean even like the you find out quite a lot about the oldest character the oldest player by the end but he's just like I just wanted to play like let's assume he, like he's like I have a year or two to live why not why not play fun games for my childhood with 500 other people like well well why didn't you make it so they don't have to die <laughs> like you just kick them out of the game <laughs> that's what the bill I mean so the towards the end they sort of look at it from the billionaire's point of view and it's like once you get so rich nothing entertains you nothing like you just have to go like harsher and harsher and sam and i were talking about like we're very clear high. parallels between like yeah like <laughs> them these billionaires paying to watch this game is like just to hop away from betting on football to watch black bodies get brutalized weekend after weekend yeah yeah and like yeah they make a lot of money too but at but what I think cost? That, that high level i do think that the reason they chose to make it as brutal and as like this is life or death when in the metaphor is that in a lot of cases, I mean, people starve in the yeah. world because of the system that we have. A lot of people it's life or death anyway. care yeah. in real right. life or somebody who just like works two jobs and is nearly like 16 hours of work a day or something. It's like they're basically a whole life has been taken away from them by 
this like system that we have. So yeah. I think that I actually kind of appreciate that they made it as like extreme as they made it because I think it calls attention to the fact that the thing that like the thing that they're the, the show is about, which is like capitalism and our, our financial systems, whatever, are more brutal than we give them credit for. Well, Sammy? Sean, what you were saying about like, why did this get so big? I think it's like, because it really paid like preys on everyone's sort of like primal fear of like what could happen to them. And like, that's what keeps people watching because it's like, you both sort of like relate and like, I think fear, as we've seen from the Facebook algorithm keeps people invested more than like, I don't know, Bridgerton porn, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I just think it's more like relatable. Like everyone's sort I think no matter where you are in the system, I guess maybe unless you're going up, able, you have enough money to go up real high. Like maybe you sort of feel like you're in this like rat race or like you yes. can't like, it's hard to get ahead. Like it just right. is. One thing I will say, I don't relate to the billionaires. I feel like I could always like find, would find things to spend money on that don't involve anyone dying. Like I do that too. It's like when people say money doesn't buy happiness. It's like, like it, it does, does though. It does. Yeah. And I can, I can enjoy my life enough. I promise. Like, I don't think I would get bored ever. Yeah. I, see, I actually think the only writing choice that they made in the whole show that I would like them to have taken back was the explanation from the old man that he mm -hmm. was just bored because yeah. I don't actually think, I think maybe in practice, that's what billionaires are doing. What, what the, the analogy would be, why, why do you need to get so rich? And they're like, well, I need to like own my yacht. Well, you're well, not bored. Like, you're evil. Lots of people do things or lots of people are bored. They're, they don't kill anyone. Right. Like, you know, I think the motivations of billionaires to continue to hoard the wealth that they have or subject people that are below them to such low wages, et cetera, their justification isn't as simple as I'm bored. So that's the only yeah. part that I did disagree with. There was a line, though, in the last episode that I think justified that whole bogus twist. You guys figured out it was the old man, right? Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah, I was like, Never the second episode wait, immediately? Not oh, immediately, like, but by the oh, end. I, I, like, I literally, at the beginning, when when they, so they all go home, and then our main character, like, runs into the old man at a convenience store, and it's like, what are the odds we run into each other? Yeah. I was like, oh, so you're, oh, like, I didn't pay as much attention to the early episodes. Yeah, yeah I actually crazy. did a rewatch Also, those. also, people are talking about, like, it's an Easter egg, but if you rewatch the, the little girl, uh, Red Light, Green Light, the old man is straight up moving his ass off yeah. during Red Light. And, <laughs> and it's, but the, the point is on that one in the tug of war in marbles, somebody like him who is part of the power structure of the game gets to supersede the actual rules of the game. There, there it's the whole thing about like bailing yeah. out the rich. It's like, like undercover are, boss. It's like undercover yeah. boss, but <laughs> he's <laughs> undercover boss. <laughs> but it's also that like no matter what he does he can't fail he can't die he's actually impervious to the game but he's playing it as though it's as thrilling as the you know to him as it would be if his life was actually on the line so i just thought at least that so in the last episode yeah. though he had one line that i actually thought was pretty good which is he calls the winner into the room on like his deathbed and he confronts him about not spending the money and he says to him you you had the luck and the hard work to earn this money, you deserve to spend it. 
Yeah. And I think that like that sentence alone mm-hmm. is how billionaires sleep at night. Like I genuinely mm-hmm. think people who get too rich actually resent people giving their money away because they're like, no, 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 no. You had the luck and the hard work to deserve all of this money. And they really hate the idea that that paradigm isn't universal. Right. To all human and obviously beings. the winner is very affected by everything that happened for him to get there. Whereas the average, like they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about how the supply chain ruins lives and, and kills people. My two more questions. Do you guys think the show, do you think the showrunner has a positive view of humanity or a negative view of humanity? Um, or like, what's the impression you got from the show? Do you think you're supposed to take away that like, we should trust people or everything is terrible? Okay, I have an answer to this question. I actually think while I was watching, great, this actually is an interesting question because during the show, I was thinking of it in terms of, are some of these people still good? And mm-hmm do they come off as like saps for being good? So Ali, the Pakistani immigrant, he's good through and through to the very end and it costs him his life. So there is a point of view on this that's like, it doesn't matter how good you are, this shit will eat you up. But I also think as I was thinking about, somebody can, you can be both. And I think the show has the point of view that you can still maintain your humanity and participate in the system. So I think that the point is that you can still trust people. You don't have to be this version of brutality that like, this is just an extreme version that we don't like, we can reject this game. Yeah. You don't just winning. It is not the only way to overcome the game. You can. And, and the the showrunner said, that's what he wanted to get across with the last scene that like, whether it really, I can, can you imagine if there wasn't a season two, that would be very dumb of Netflix. People can make a lot of money, but there will definitely be a season two and they leave open a lot of, a lot of possibilities. I don't think it, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think it's really like positive or negative. I think it's just like a realistic slash neutral view. Like, I think it's like, because it does kind of account for like all a, a lot of different motivations that people mm-hmm. might have and like humanity as a whole like i don't know like if you had to put like all the good people on one side and all the bad people like you know how could you even right. measure that so it's like i think it's more about like the potential that like yeah a given person could have to be a certain way Right. And it's like, those aren't really questions you have the luxury of asking yourself when you're, it's like the person you're trying to decide whether to trust has their life in your hands. It's like, you, have, right. you don't have a choice. You're, you're whatever trust you've developed in humanity is like all you have at that point. So you just, yeah. you, if you, that's literally your only option to, if in those moments, if you do not trust, then you're dying. If you trust, you have a chance of, of surviving. Yeah. Did you see today that North Korea is now touting this, oh yeah! This show as like no way. I an did not see that. Of why South Korea and the systems of, in South Korea are wrong and capitalism. Well, is evil. yeah, and that's, and that's actually one thing I wanted to say about the show before we go yeah. off is that I think that it's really interesting to see the way that South Korean audience, South Korean artists, feel like uniquely primed to speak about the current situation with capitalism. And that's because they have really serious inequality that's happening in South Korea. But in recent years, I mean, Parasite, Minari, now this, BTS is like one of the most popular groups out there. Like clearly, like Korean art is speaking to people globally at like a really, really high level right now. Yeah. What yeah. Like, I think some of it does come from, like, the economic system that's going on there. And, like, a lot of... They have basically, like, an oligarchy-type situation 
with like <laughs> very, very wealthy tech people and then everybody else. I learned all of this when I went to Nighthawk to see Parasite and they played like a thing before the movie explaining oh, cool. like what's been going on in Korea yeah. for like the past 10 years. Well, I feel like that's what that's why the the, the show is so good because Korea has, has complete like has such a like huge influence on the economy, on art on music and in such a short period of time compared to other countries yeah. and i feel like this movie asks or this series asks at what cost yeah what right. has this done yeah. to our society yeah. how is this striated people so it's sort of but, like it's so interesting because it's like this the show has taken over the world and like it's time for korea to have had these moments because mm -hmm. they're right in line right. with the rest of the big powers right but right. It, it's it's interesting and ironic that the the, the thesis of this show is like well this is what this has caused but if right. you know, I don't know if you've ever had or if you've ever had a debate about capitalism who, with somebody no. in America, or if you've ever been. I know Sammy likes to go on Reddit as much as I do. So if you ever see it, bring it's, it's a popular topic on Reddit. But one thing that tends to happen is people like treat all these conversations as if you're like, oh, so if you're just a communist, why don't you just go to North Korea? Or on the other side, it's, it's like yeah. if you criticize any of the elements of capitalism, it's like you're saying. It's like, why don't you just, you know, if you don't like it, leave it. But the good thing about this show is I think it does a good job of trying to pinpoint the specific elements. Like, let's just change parts of the system. Yeah, right? yeah, when yeah. nobody's saying that, like, there's a completely better system that we just swap in, it's like, oh, no, we need to change, like, the level of desperation of the people who are so deep. In, like, the first episode is just about student debt to me. You know, it's like, it might totally. as well be. It's like, you just become a debt slave and you'll do all these crazy things that don't make any sense. So that, I think that's the reason the show works so well is because it's not saying, oh everything about how every, everything that we do is wrong it's saying that like okay like this game is similar to this part of society and let's just like make sure it doesn't work this way anymore so you don't get killed if you lose there's a difference between like capitalism and the exchange of goods and services for an agreed yeah. upon <laughs> fair market rate and right. brutish capitalism where you have like these people at the top hoarding the wealth and everybody else can't feed themselves like and i think the reason probably that the korean art that talk that speaks to these themes has been so popular is because while it's much more extreme there it's still happening here and like whether yeah. or not like pretty much anyone in the system can appreciate that because we're all dealing with it and we can't just check out and go to North Korea. Sorry. How? Like, yeah, I don't want, it's just like so silly. Like we are all in the system and we're not getting out. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Until the end of democracy, <laughs> we need a squid game for democracy or is that just our current? That's just I think we're in it. Okay. Yeah, I think Excellent. we're in it. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us, Sean. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duerman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Sammy Sage. And I'm Sean Kilby. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Betches.